Lead Time is a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective, hosted by Tim Allman and Jack Caliber. The ULC envisions a future in which all congregations fully equip the priesthood of all believers through world-class leadership development at the local level. Lead Time taps into biblical wisdom for practical solutions to today's burning issues. Each podcast confronts real-time struggles facing the local church in a post-Christian culture. Step into the action with the ULC at uniteleadership.org. This is Lead Time. Welcome to Lead Time. Tim Allman here with Jack Kalberg. I pray wherever you're taking this in that the joy of the Lord is your strength as we lean into a conversation with the hit rapper Flame, man, the Lutheran rapper Flame. Let me tell you a little bit the about man. this this brother <laughs> and how we met. So Flame is a Grammy-nominated and stellar award-winning hip-hop artist, well-versed leader in the Christian hip-hop scene with a growing list of accolades, including a Grammy nomination, multiple Billboard uh, chart toppers and several Dove and Stellar Award nominations. Uh, St. Louis has been home, though now he resides in in Tampa. His he's had a number of releases. His latest release includes four EPs. I, I just learned what's EP mean, Flame. You got to tell me <laughs> what does EP mean. It's just a short project, but what it actually stands for, I, I, I actually don't know. I think it's, it's extended play. Though. It goes back from the days of the records. You got to be, old, you gotta be old enough to know that. <laughs> extended <laughs> play. Thank you, Jack. So the recent one, recent one was included. Extra Nose. This Extra Nose came out in uh, 2020, and uh, he has a brand new book called Extra Nose: Discovering Grace Outside of Outside Wonderful of Myself. Book. So I got to tell yeah. you, Flame just met me for like. 30 seconds at the LCMS convention. And it was a very awkward interaction. And here's why it wasn't anything about you flame. It's because we were just about getting ready to talk about one of my, like the deepest topics for me was pastoral formation and the pastoral formation committee is coming up. You probably don't know this, but the pastoral formation. So I got my clicker in one hand and then I'm waiting in a line to talk to talk to flame and a really quick interaction. Super sweet said my son loves him. So many of our sons really love his music as well as, as us. And then I just got back to my chair flame to click the button and get to the mic to speak about whatever it was around pastoral formation. So sorry it was such a quick interaction. And thank you, brother, for for saying yes to joining us today. How you doing, man? Indeed. Indeed. I remember. All is well, though. Glad to be here with you, gentlemen. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into the the book and um, and deep theology, we're going to be talking some deep theology today. It's going to be super fun. I'd love to hear your story of how you developed a, a love for rap. Who were your primary influences? Influences and when did you know? Wow, this could actually turn into something. Career, man. <laughs> man, it's, it's so it's so funny. So even as a kid, I always been into hip hop culture, mm-hmm. rap music. Just growing up in the inner city, it's just the air you breathe. So it's just a natural reflex. But the funny thing is, I was always sneaking around listening to music that my grandmother just she abhorred it. It was it was terrible. <laughs> Not that all rap music had that you know bad message, but I just was drawn to that style and uh so one day she caught me listening to some crazy rap music and uh she was just like man grandson like why don't you if you're always listening to this rap music like why don't you study your schoolwork write songs about the content then when you go to school you can repeat back the content in your lyrics and you had to answer to your, all the questions and pass all your tests and everything. So I like to say that's when Flame was born, was in that moment, just as a kid. So kudos to Francis Jones. But uh, man, as I got older, probably early teen years, I was really into some of the classics like um, 
Think of like Slick Rick. Then it became Bone Thugs and Harmony, Tupac, Nas, <laughs> Biggie, those guys. So it was yep. just a, a childhood love that really drew me to the commentary in the music. That was probably the most interesting thing. Yes, the mm -hmm. music, the feeling, the fashion, but it was the ideas that I was able to sort of engage from these older guys. Yeah. 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 What is it? What is it about? Uh, music and specifically rap man that opens up the brain we do a lot of neurology we talk about the brain and brain science and things on here from time to time but how do you memorize that many lyrics I think for a lot of people they're like man you're just running through running through running through it's crazy how the brain kind of clicks and you're able to, like you're in the zone right I mean obviously you've written these songs but like talk about memorization and even how we can memorize the word and even use kind of the the art of rap to to do so Say a little bit more yes. about brain science, man. Indeed. No, I love that that connection. I think it definitely, the brain loves patterns, it seems, and mm -hmm. cadence. So, I mean, rap music is perfect for that. I mean, the format is pretty typical and consistent. So you're already used to maybe a three-minute song, three and a half, you know, at the longest. So your brain, uh, it, it latches onto that. And then once you get that cadence, it just sticks. And like you said, if you can just, Put in the lyrics the type of things that are healthy to think about. Paul says, think on these things, things that are lovely, that are pure, that are righteous. If you're loading up your songs with that kind of content and scripture, I mean, it's yep. just a great tool and an assistant to just regular Bible reading or in the case of my grandmother, just learning anything that's healthy. And, and that's that's what is actually exactly came about with the Psalms, right? These were those were meant to be sung. And you could imagine I don't know what the melodies of the Psalms would be, but you could imagine that the 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 first iterations, these people would have known the melodies very well, that it would have, you know, and that would have helped um, these sayings just stay in their mind. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Yep. A, a lot of what you do, we got a lot of pastors flame that, that are listening. Um, and a lot of, a lot of what you do is kind of consistent with the, the curse of being a pastor and being on a, on a stage, on a platform. And so how do you maintain humility as a performer, man? All eyes on you. What's he going to say? Flip another trick, sing another song, you know, preach another sermon that, that wows me so that I can come back again and be wowed the next week. How do you maintain that humility, bro? Because that's definitely what I see in you. Yeah, no, thank you, man. Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, in one sense, uh, I credit, you know, just being around good, godly men that have modeled that for me. So in, in many ways, I'm just repeating back things I've seen. I also think there's something in my personality that God has sort of made me not as impressed with the, the glitz and the glam. It's, it's a shallowness to it that's not really attractive. So I, I do draw on that. But then ultimately, you know, I would say I, I try to also be around regular people, like people that may not know me as Flame or if they do find out I'm an artist, that doesn't quite mean anything, has no currency in their space and I like being in those rooms because then I could just be me and learn people for who they are to get to learn me for who I am so I like that that emotion I like that feeling so maybe something in that combination I think God uses to try to you know kind of keep my head low <laughs> yeah yeah have you uh have you looked at the Enneagram at all have you ever looked at that I haven't that, okay so it kind of it's not that there's parts of it that I'm like it comes out of the Eastern uh, kind of traditions, but it's good for self awareness. And one of the Enneagram numbers is performer, right? And uh, and I I kind of have that. I've been a worship leader, you know, and and preacher for many many years now, and was in the arts growing up and things like that. So so the the performer is always wondering. 
does anybody really know the real me? The real me, you know, there's the, there's a stage me, there's the hit play me, but then who are the people that know the real me? And, uh, I've got, I've got that, uh, people that just say, dude, you're not that big of a deal. And I think to keep anybody from, from stumbling, right. As a follower, we need people that just put us in that appropriate place, obviously under the cross of Jesus and then level in a, in a level playing field with our family, family and friends. Anything to add to that though? No, that's good. I think that's spot on because when you have those types of honest people around you, hopefully they're honest enough to say positive things. You know, if you did a, a good sure. job serving and then also, you know, conscious enough to if they can sense that you're lost in your own self, they can help rear you out of that also. So now I think that's spot on. And that's that's just how the body in, in general should function, you know, not being weird or mean, but just just that healthy um, iron sharpening iron type of exchange. And I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Be, being well-known can be isolating sometimes. Um, True. I, I'm i not famous by any any notion at all, but you're I, a, you're I, a big deal, I did experience fame briefly. <laughs> oh, yes, you did. I know this story. I know this story. Yeah, go ahead. Tell the story. Tell the story, Jack. So I one of the reasons I love your story is because there's a lot of things like there's a lot of harmony with your story and my story. I'm a musician. Mm. Um, and I, I spent 22 years in the U S army band as a, as a drummer. Thank you, and, um, I got deployed to France for the anniversary of D-Day. It was the 50th anniversary of D-Day. Big, big, wow. big deal. Yeah. And I was, uh, with the 101st airborne division Ooh. and we landed there and we were treated like the Beatles every mm. single where place we went. I had teenage girls ripping things off my uniform. We get chased down everywhere. We were, we were, we were signing autographs and this went on for two weeks. And after two weeks I had had enough. I was totally (laughs) done with it. Oh man, Jack, that's like, that's one of those stories. That's like a, that's like a fish story, bro. I've never heard about girls ripping anything before until just now. It'll never happen again. Yeah, it will. No. (laughs) Marta, Marta does that all the time. She's like, come on, Jack. That's his That's wife. Right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, funny the stuff. Glory so let's talk. The glory days, the glory days. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk Lutheran. Um, you know, Lutheran, just the word today, flame, it, yeah. it's fascinating. We, uh, at our church, because we, we've got a lot of people in our context that don't know exactly what Lutheranism is or Lutheran Martin Luther, you know, they think Martin Luther King Jr. I know that was maybe early when you were young where yep. your mind went. And then if if you hear of Lutheranism in the in the media today, uh, the largest Lutheran church uh, can be equated with a liberal kind of movement in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. So what does Lutheranism really mean? Before you, you know, came to know the story of Martin Luther, Reformation, et cetera, and then deep Lutheran theology, when, when you were in the charismatic to the Reformed tradition, what was your perception of, of Lutherans? Yes, a few different stages. It's funny, though, as a kid, I didn't know Lutherans existed just in church life or just generic American Christian culture. I never encountered Lutheran thought. I don't even know if I met a Lutheran person. And then as a teenager around 16, I do remember my youth pastor bringing up um, Martin Luther, um, the German reformer. And the context of him bringing it up had to do with Martin Luther King Jr. He was just letting us know that that's where um, Martin Luther King's dad got the name from. And then they both had their name changed after Martin Luther. 
So that was interesting. I didn't find it to be relevant particularly, but I thought it was at least cool. It's kind of just one of those little things, you know. And then later on, um, after I graduated high school, I was a bricklayer. So I was laying bricks. I was making good money. And then eventually I found out that my foreman was probably a Lutheran because we started Mm -hmm. to do a lot of reconstruction on Lutheran churches. And he made mention of it like in brief. So that was cool. But fast forward, when I was uh, at Concordia Seminary, I saw him again on campus. So that w- it was all confirmed. So I've had like these little touch points. And then one I, I forgot to mention was, it's so funny. So there was this guy at my local church as a teen, and um, he gave me this book. I think it was um, like the small catechism, now that I think about it. But he told me, man, you should check this out. It's really helpful. I think it'll, you'll benefit from it. But I just put it on my bookshelf and I didn't visit it until years later after he had gone on to be with the Lord. So, um, you know, after seeing that, it's almost like Lutheranism has kind of been chasing me throughout my journey. (laughs) So that's been cool to connect those dots. (laughs) No doubt. So talk about going to Concordia Seminary, my alma mater, and uh, your initial interaction with Dr. Bodie. Dr. Bodie is one of my favorite humans on planet Earth, man. Thanks, uh, thanks. He is, he, he is legit. So yeah, and then and then your interaction with what are this man is probably well. There's so many good professors. It's hard to say a favorite, right? But in the yeah. systematic department, Dr. Bierman is is tops, and, and those two yeah. men and others kind of had an impact on your your faith development. Talk about your Concordia Seminary experience. Yeah, it was interesting too because you know. Uh, to add to the last part of the story, I do remember at some point asking about Lutheran thought, and it was just kind of articulated to me that it was like the cousins of the Roman Catholics. That's what I remember hearing. And uh, so it was already that sort of seed planted that this is something like Rome. So then fast forward, once I was exposed to the seminary, a close friend of mine was just like, man, Flame, um, a Baptist, a Reformed Baptist professor recommended Concordia Seminary to me. Maybe you should check the school out too. So I did that, scheduled a time to tour the campus, did that with Dr. Bodie. And as you mentioned, I mean, just a great guy. I mean, we had good conversation. He wasn't very pushy in terms of trying to get me to convert to Lutheran thought. But I mean, he did mention to me that the institution was a Lutheran institution, but I still didn't really know what that meant. So having tested into the the master's program and getting inside of the skin of the Lutheran world, that's when really my mind was blown because I was confronted with ideas that I had just never had to wrestle with. I mean, justification by faith alone was there, but by and large, I mean, the word of God and sacraments and that sort of combination felt weird. It felt foreign. It was uncomfortable. I remember thinking I was, you know, joining a cult. Like I was scared and I prayed to God, like guard my mind, protect me. You know what I'm saying? Let me be a student of good Berean while I'm on campus. But it was sort of, it was sort of scary. And then even the people that, you know, like pastors and seminary professors from my reform space that had to like write letters of recommendation, excuse me. I don't even think they quite, I mean, respectfully, I don't even think they quite understood Lutheran thought. I wonder if they did would they have recommended the school for me or even written those letters? So that's cool to think backwards and ponder. But by and large, I mean, it was just a a sweet time of curiosity and engagement. There's an interesting thing I learned about the history of Concordia St. Louis that uh, back in the day, it used to be just referred to as the seminary. Mm. So if Mm. you were 
just a pastor in America and just somebody mentioned the seminary, um, the reputation was so stellar that everybody knew that that meant the Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that, Jack. Thanks for yeah. you're dropping all these things, man. This is legit. So, <laughs> so that's probably uh, why they, re- they probably had that same kind of, it still has that brand probably amongst other theologians, even yeah. though they may not agree with Lutheranism. Right. I love that. And the seminary yeah. was in California too. So that says a lot, a long way mm-hmm. from, from St. Louis. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. No, for sure. For sure. So shout out to Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and, um, and how, you know, this book was really impacted by a lot of your learning there at, now I read it. I read it a couple of weeks ago. Was there a moment, or was it kind of a cascading set of moments that you kind of said, "Oh my goodness, I think that this Lutheran, because it's just centered all the solas, etc. This yeah. could be this could be the thing." Can you tell that story or stories? Yeah, yeah, man. It was it it, it's, it was definitely you know a succession of moments, man. I feel like um, it was it was a journey. I mean, it was the just the ebb and flow of emotion, trying to track with everything, because in the Calvinistic or the reform space, people will, you know, give a hat tip to Luther. Um, typically, the bondage of the will is your first exposure to Luther and mm-hmm. the Reformation. And then they sort of tuck them, un- you know, underneath the carpet, just kind of sweep them out the way. And you mm-hmm. think you have the gist of Luther. And then it's sort of position right. that John Calvin came in and saved Christianity's in help the Reformation to do what it was supposed to do. Right. <laughs> and um, so being at the school, there was a lot of familiar touch points, things that I'd already worked through coming from the charismatic space. So I did appreciate that in my Calvinistic journey, just this appreciation for the word of God, uh, scripture being the final and ultimate authority. So those were tools in a tool belt that really helped me engage Lutheran thought. So I remember being committed to, if this is in a Bible, I have to submit to it. Like I can't because mm-hmm. if the Bible is the final authority, then it doesn't matter what I feel, how spooky things yeah. may seem. If it's in the text, it's in the text. So that was really my anchor and working through everything. Um, man, I talked to a lot of pastors and lay leaders and I was really trying to get in people's heads and scholarly minds to see, am I tripping? Am I off? But I think I'm seeing this. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, respectfully, I don't, I don't, I just don't think I got adequate answers. Most of it was just sort of like, stay away from the Lutheran stuff, stay away. And that even made me more curious. It's like, why is this, why stay away? If it's in the text, why stay away? So it seemed like there were other things that persons were committed to preserving or protecting as opposed to going where the Bible leads. So for me, that was a red flag. And uh, I just, I followed the, connected the dots, followed the breadcrumbs and I said, I can't unsee this, man. This this stuff holds true to the text and it's showing up throughout church history. This isn't like some new novel idea that the Lutherans have, some proprietary thing that just makes them cool or weird. It's like, no, this stretches back all the way to those who nurtured the faith off of the closing of the canon. So mm. here we are. I had to go with what was in the text. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been. Um, studying with uh, Luther House right now, so uh, separate from Concordia, but um, really great group of people there. And what I love is is the approach that says, rather than standing over Scripture and trying to be an interpreter, what if we stand underneath Scripture and let it interpret us? Mm-hmm. I love that. And to me, that's that's what it is. When you do that, when you when you stand underneath Scripture and you let Scripture be the thing that's interpreting you, 
then to me, what you end up with is Lutheranism. Ooh. At least, I mean, that's been my experience. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, you know, I'm finding out that most people that haven't committed themselves to a system by and large are, are open. Yeah. But if you've committed yourself to a system and to the culture of that system, this it's is in your, your backpack and you're just carrying it around, right? Exactly. And then yeah. this, the thing that I do want to tread lightly and respect is that some people have made this their source of income and um, stability. So it's just a tricky thing to uproot your entire life. How do you explain it to your spouse? Oh yeah, we're changing doctrine. Well, and and that's what you went through kind of, right? I mean, you, you built a career in a different thread, a different theological thread, and then you had to shift midstream. That must've been (laughs) (laughs) very (laughs) difficult or interesting. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. How would you explain that process? Yeah, it was it was tricky. I mean, to your point, I, I had been in the reform space for 18 years and uh, the connections, the network, uh, the friendships, the bonds that were developed, the people that care for me just as a brother, as a friend, all those things are in the mix. And mm-hmm. so there's this sense of loyalty there that I wanted yeah. to value. Um, so it puts you in that sort of fork in a row. And it's not an easy thing to do. And then financially, like you said, my income comes from, you know, this collection of Christians that have trusted me over the years and put me in front of their youth and their church mm-hmm. and say, hey, you can rap, you can speak, you can teach, you can do Q&A sessions. And, um, you know, so I, I understood that world very well, but I've never committed to those peripheral things. Those things have always been peripheral to me. Not that I devalue them. I genuinely care for those people. And those things, yeah. but I never sought to position them above the word of God, which again was right. my mm-hmm. anchor while studying something that was new to me. Mm-hmm. So once that sort of collision of events took place, the bare basic thing was, what does the text say? And, I, and yeah. to your point, I had to stand underneath that and humble myself and say, God, I don't know what's about to happen, but I can't be a secret Lutheran. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Uh, and I think these things are good. I think they're yeah. helpful. I know so many influencers and pastors and regular people who, in the quiet of their own hearts, struggle with the things I struggle with. They may be professors, pastors, or just regular Joes and Janes, but I've been in those accountability groups. I've been in those spaces where I hear the angst and the the doubt and the lack of assurance. And I'm like, man, this is helpful. This is practical. This is useful as well as true and rooted in scripture and church history. So I was like, I, I just can't hide it. <laughs> hmm. We're made for community and relationship flame. Isn't that true? I mean, the first time God says something's not good, Adam's alone and we need folks. So as you're sharing your story and as I was reading the book, I'm just like, man, like the change of relationship with all those people over almost two decades in, in your industry. And then to have some of them actually say you've left Orthodox Christianity as they've understood it, man, that's, that's a heavy, heavy thing. So how do you handle, how do you handle criticism both to your face? And then as an artist, I mean, you put yourself out there and preachers, they kind of put themselves out there. Um, so how do you handle, handle criticism in a healthy way? Ooh, that's a good question. I always say too, like, um, to an artist and maybe for a pastor too, but to an artist, your songs and your impact eventually functions like the law. Like people hold you up to that standard. They want you to give them that same feeling every time. They want you to give that that first high, if you will. And they're always holding you to that. And 
And I get it for them. They've benefited from it and they want that same, like every time you bite the sandwich, you want the taste the same every bite. So that's kind of like the the expectation. So that can be a it's bit the weighty. Brand, right? <laughs> yeah. So that could be weighty. Sometimes it could be, you know, annoying. Sometimes it could be overwhelming. But by and large, I do think um, the way I, I sort of weather it is trying to remain rooted to the fact that I want to say things that are helpful. I want to say them the best way I can. But my goal ultimately isn't to entertain you alone. My goal ultimately isn't to just, you know, sort of scratch your itch for well put together words and sentences, punchlines, metaphors. I want that to be in place as a tool, but I don't want to be led by that. I would like to think I'm leading you all with some good information and some biblical truth. So however that comes out, I'm just sort of trusting God in that and not being connected to the performative portion as much though i value it obviously i'm in the entertainment world but i don't let it lead in that way so in that way the people don't have that that sort of supremacy over my thoughts or my creativity they're there but not in the ultimate way so i try to some kind of way work those things out of my head to guard my heart and uh to realize there is this gospel reality happening so i don't have to function under the burden of the law that the people put under me but it's like I just want to give good news, you know, and the law is a part of that sometimes. But, um, you know, by and large, let me just say the things and try to say them the best way I can. And I'll take a deep breath. Or if I need to complain, I'll do that <laughs> with people behind the scenes. I'll share my woes and then I'll keep it pushing. <laughs> I, I see your book as yeah. an incredible resource that churches ought to consider as, as part of their toolkit, mm. especially as they're thinking about um, outreach to new people who are trying to understand uh, the theology of Lutheranism. You do this incredible job in your book where you tell your own story. It's your own biography, yeah. but but it, I would call it a theolo- It's a theological biography. You're talking like about that. your story and, and in it, you're talking about your context starting off in a, um, a more um, charismatic Pentecostalish type of background. Is that what you would call that in your original church home? Yeah, I would say, yep. Yeah. Charismatic and yep. It was, yeah, and then it was moving into gospel, like a yeah. blend between Baptist and Pentecostal. <laughs> right. And then you had what I would call, um, the, they use this term, a sort of an apocalypse moment where you have been mentored by people and you become Calvinist, right? Yes. And then another on. phase as you go to school and you become educated, another apocalypse moment where you've been <laughs> moved from Calvinism into Lutheranism. And in that whole process, you talk about like the great benefits of what you got from moving from one step to the next and then ultimately landing in the, in the Lutheran, uh, the Lutheran understanding of things. Okay. So um, what I like about it is, um, you know, it, it, it breaks the mold of what your typical, you know, uh, church book would be, you know, if you're just, yeah. I think it, honestly, I think it's a great thing that churches ought to consider giving as gifts to new people. Mm, yeah. Um, Cause I, I love, I love, I agree, Jack. I, I love the tone. I love the tone because we can become, super, super legalistic with the gospel. Right. And, and the way that comes about is we're better than we're, you know, we figured it out and it's like, nah, we've been figured out. We've been exposed by the law and the goodness and grace of God has come to us by, by faith alone, extra notes outside of ourselves, not, not because of, not because of us. So how do you talk in a, how do you talk in a winsome way to help folks kind of understand uh, the differences between Arminianism 
and Calvinism and how Lutheranism kind of sits right, right in the middle of that. Because, um, yeah, if we, if we head in like too hard, man, we just lose. I, I see Lutheranism as just arms wide open, like Christ, right? Arms wide open. We, we want as many people as possible to experience the extra nose, passive righteousness that comes uh, because of the finished work of Jesus, signed, sealed, and delivered through the waters of baptism. That's our heart's desire, you know, and we don't want to we don't want to say things in a way that could lead our in our Baptist or or uh, reformed brother or sister or for goodness sake, you know, the, the pre-Christian just waiting to hear the goodness and grace of Jesus. That's our ultimate heart. Right. So how do you how do you communicate that in a winsome way, Flame? Man, you know, one of the things I think about is I'm always thinking about people and that they're not very complicated in one sense. I mean, obviously, we can be multi-layered and complex beings, but there is a simplicity to most people where they aren't thinking deeply about things. They're not always processing what they believe um, on the day to day. They're not in a way that's in their face as conscious of their own theology and how to connect those dots with everyday decisions. So I try to remember that about the people. And, uh, and I just, I want to speak to where I know we all live, which is being broken, um, being disintegrated within our own selves. We all have things we would like to improve about ourselves. We all would want to grow and overcome certain things. We all want to be good friends by and large parents, spouses, students, and, um, you know, that can bring a lot of guilt when you are faced with yourself and your own contradictions and hypocrisy and things hitting you from the outside and influences are all just sort of moving in on you. And, you know, that could be weighty. So I think for non-Christians and Christians alike, Lutherans just have such helpful language in understanding the complexity of that, the simplicity of that, uh, and not calling you to look within or to try to master yourself and, you know, some kind of therapeutic self-improvement thing, not speak against therapy or self-improvement, but if those things are ultimate, they kind of lead you back to the problem, which is, Mm -hmm. man, there's something in me that I just can't quite fix. So the Lutheran language to me really serves um, the culture where we are. Non-Christians are super into finding the goddess or the god within or like that kind of thought is back is popular um everybody loves that sort of spiritual thing manifestations even in the space i'm from uh in a, and even in a black community people are talking about manifestations and using sage to clean out spirits and wow. so people are trying to figure out this good versus evil thing and conquering and growing from within but it's it's that loop it sends you back looking within and that can bring a sense of despair or pride and man, Lutheran thought has really nailed those engagements as a person <laughs> and how and what that means bef- with us before our creator. So it's just, I mean, this is the time now, I think, for Lutherans to just gently move yeah. into these conversations and say, hey, there are some helpful things that have been written and said about this. I think you'll find helpful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 2KR flame is it? 2KR. You drop 2KR in a lot of your, a lot of your uh, songs, and man, yeah. all over your I mean, songs, man. It's great. All stuff. over, all over. It's so <laughs> good. It's so good. So, have you had any stories of of folks that 
have been like, especially since 2020 and, and your writing style changed. And have you had folks kind of say, I didn't, I didn't realize that there were these really solid handles, law, gospel, two kinds of righteousness, all that to, to understand the scripture. And now it's a, a new gospel centered Jesus lens that we're really putting on. Have you had any of those kinds of stories of people having these Bible discovery moments connected oh to your music? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yes, yes, and yes. I mean, and it's it's been so encouraging because, you know, on the front end, you put the project out, you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know who's going to hear it. Not to mention, we're all fighting the algorithm on social media. So all your posts don't go to everybody that subscribes to your pages. So it's all these things. You just It's a mystery. And so now to hear back from, I mean, again, from professors, seminary presidents, uh, pastors, laypersons, and some people, they'll seek me out like Nicodemus in the night, just like, yo, this is good. I've never heard this, never been confronted by it. Um, those things are very encouraging. I'm, I'm in many cases, past, I know I'm thinking of at least three pastors now that were reformed pastors, but in sort of a, the best way you can, they took a similar journey. They were up front and honest with their congregation and the people at the top. Like, this is what I've been, I've been thinking and considering this lately. I've been praying through these things. I'm learning more about the Reformation and Lutheran thought. And I know some guys who've walked that down over time and are now mm-hmm. training at Lutheran seminaries to move into the pastorate in the Luther, confessional Lutheran space. And I think that's encouraging. I think, you know, by God's spirit, he's giving people courage. Um, and if people are seeing that this shouldn't be a threat. If we can get over the hump of, oh, my God, this feels Roman Catholic and we can sort of see it in Scripture, I think the church will actually see it as a benefit. So I, I, I understand we need a portion of time where it's going to feel a bit turbulent. So just knowing that prepares you to weather it because it's like, OK, mm-hmm. this idea is confronting and it's um, it feels violent on the front end. But as you mm-hmm. work through it and see how it fits into your everyday, practical, mundane lives, it becomes useful. Then it becomes necessary. And you need those truths and all those distinctions, law, gospel, two kinds of righteousness. You know, the list goes on. I mean, those things become dire in a counseling room for people who are experiencing crises and trying to figure things out or just, man, should I be a Christian rapper, a Christian doctor, a Christian janitor, or can I just serve in my vocation and do good there? Trusting that God is is smiling on that activity too. People need this conversation, and it's so helpful. Yes. So helpful. Yeah, man. You you got a counseling minor. You've yeah. been interested in psychology for a long period of time. Talk about that journey and how your theology interacts with psychology for you. Yeah, it, it's it's personal for me, man. So I grew up um, again in the inner city, but the thing about that that makes it unique was my mom was classified schizophrenic and depression. Um, and depressed as long as I can remember. So I've always grown up in and out of the psych wards, visiting her, um, her and my dad having to care after her. And so I've always lived in that space where, you know, mental illness was in my face present. So I've been trying to understand it for years. And then it has implications for me as a, as the son of a mom who has schizophrenic, that's an interesting dynamic that I had to figure out. So just on a personal level, and then I start meeting other people who I saw these practical challenges. And I'm like, man, Lord, it would be cool to be able to take these weighty truths and just sort of connect them with the practical, you know, 
understanding of how to live as a broken creature and maybe sort of blend them together and find ways to talk about it. So I found that to be really helpful. And um, especially now, again, talking about therapy where people are open to that and it sort of has the cool factor now, I think that can be useful. But for the most part, again, I think Lutheran thought is necessary even in a counseling room because what you get a lot of times is a lot of law in a counseling room where it's like, okay, here's your homework assignment. Here are the the things you need to do to improve. Mm -hmm. Try these things. And for a person that's already struggling and kind of broken, it's like that could just be the worst thing ever, (laughs) you know? Hmm. Yeah. 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 That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I have a a background. Um, One one of my military backgrounds also was uh, I was a master resiliency trainer. And so Mm -hmm. this was all based on like, what are the, what are the cognitive tools that a person can learn to be more effective when they're like going through really, really, really stressful times in their life. Um, And it's all great stuff. It's all very practical stuff. But as the, as I was going through that training, like the, the thing that kept, um, kept calling to me in the back of my mind is like, how much greater would this be if this was tied to faith? Like what Hmm. makes you more resilient than trusting in the Lord and knowing that God is providing for you and that he's promising you eternal life. And so uh, one of the things that I'm hoping someday is maybe a little bit of a passion project is to kind of take these two things and to put them together, that there's practical tools to make you a more resilient person. But, you know, let's add the gospel to that, then see, you know, (laughs) and see, see how resilient it, you know, it makes a person. So, um, yeah, yeah, I appreciate your your emphasis on mental health. Amen, man. And and that is our, our witness, people are, people are just crushed under the law. You talk about the two different extremes in your book of kind of self-righteousness or pride. And then the other end of the extreme is, is self-loathing and despair, you know, and all of that comes down to our identity. Mm-hmm. Do you know, this is the beautiful thing, man, about pastoral counseling. When someone comes in you know, if they, if they're thinking they're a big deal, that's when the law comes in, you know, but that's not the majority of the time when people come <laughs> in, man, they come in and say, uh, you know, my marriage is falling apart. I'm suffering with an addiction. We do a ministry here called La Mesa, uh, and it's a meal and worship inclusive of, but not exclusively for the working poor and homeless, both in Mesa and in, in Tempe. And on Tuesday and Thursday nights, man, there's just brokenness in your face. And so when we preach there and a number of our, our vicars, our student pastors, they get to preach there and, Man, it, it just is a beautiful thing to say, you know, our, our, our sin is right before us. A lot of people in an affluent community, they wear their brokenness on the inside, you know, in a, in a lower income community, working poor, high addiction, mental illness. It's, it's very evident on the outside. Jesus came for you. Jesus runs for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus got a plan and purpose for your life. You are his. You've been baptized in his name, man. This is a, this is an amazing story. And you just see people, I mean, weep at the goodness of God. Yes. After all, after all I've done, he still knows me, sees me, um, wants to draw me near. He still, I love the metaphor. He still runs after me like the Mm -hmm. prodigal God, right? That pursues the prodigal son. He's coming after me. He's throwing a party for me. That's how much he loves me. That's, that's next level flame, you know? So Yeah. yeah. Thank you for leaning into just communicating the gospel in a winsome way. What the law does is it crushes our self-righteousness. And what the gospel does is builds us up anew in Christ. The powerful mystery, I'd love to hear you go off on this, man. Just a powerful mystery that Christ, the God of the universe, by the power of the spirit and the waters of baptism, 
calls us his own and makes us his dwelling place. Mm. It makes us his hands and feet, makes us his winsome witness in the world. I mean, it's just nuts. Anything to add toward that desire? How how the broken are then given a brand new identity, Flame? Anything yeah. to add to that? Yeah, man. And that's, 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 oh, that really hit me because coming up in the Reformed Baptist world, particularly, baptism was just an outward sign of an inward change or inward expression, mm. or it was communicated as your first act of obedience. So, I mean, we're talking about the law right now. We've taken the gospel thing, good news that Jesus has for us, a thing that he's done for us. And we, you know, in keeping with just the generic American church, we flipped it upside down and we made the works of God works of man. And it's a burden that was added. And I remember coming up, just seeing so many people think about their baptism that way. So that means in terms of identity, if you look at yourself and you don't see the kind of fire and passion that you saw when you believed at that conference or you had some super spiritual highs and you, man, you felt like I'm living for Jesus. I'm going hard. No more sin. No more. I'm just living for God. And as that starts to wane, you think about your baptism and you say, man, I must I must have shaken off my faith. I must have broken God's heart to a point where I need to get saved again. And I've just seen many people get baptized multiple times trying to get back in right position with God, trying to hit reset. If you're old enough, you remember the Nintendo button where you had to hit reset sometime because it yeah. just it wouldn't act right. But that's what baptism became for so many people, just that reset button um, and showing the world, all right, I'm ready this time. And... Um, so it was hard for me to think differently about baptism. But once I was able to just sort of slow down and walk through the scriptures and see God so understands the human journey, um, our triune God does. And then even the second person in the Trinity, Christ, right? The God man who takes on human flesh. He's a high priest who can really sympathize with everything that we experience. I mean, he's he was tempted in every way, on every hand, but he never sinned. So to have that sort of personal touch from a God who gets it. I remember there was a popular rap song back in the day from an uh, old school rapper named Ja Rule. And he had a song and it was called If God Was One of Us. And the whole song was just this story about how God can't relate to humanity. All the things that we deal with, the brokenness, the betrayal. <laughs> societal and structural ills, um, you know, friends turning their back on you, lack of finances and support. God never could, he could never undergo what we go through as people. And um, I remember, man, just thinking about that. And when you think that we do have a high priest who can sympathize, and in fact, he so understands the human journey that in baptism, he says, I'm going to deliver to you the perfection Jesus won on a cross and your baptism will function for you as assurance that will give you a good conscience that as you are feeling the angst of what it means to be a broken person, you can remember and cling to what he delivered to you in that baptism. It just flips the concept rightly and positions you in Christ based upon his gifts. And my goodness, that's just, I can't think of anything more practical than that. <laughs> and his promise for you in baptism is true and he doesn't lie. Not and it's a less. true statement, whether you're an adult or whether you're an infant, the statement is always true. You were saved. Mm. 
Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes. Amen. So what was it, what was it like flame? Cause Lutherans and, and especially our worship practices like are very, very different, right? From what you took in. I mean, a lot of singing, maybe, and then, and then like a, like a 30 to 45 minute message. Like what's it been like with Lutheran liturgy? Talk about that a bit. Man, it's so, okay. So I sort of had the cheat code because I came through the reform doors. Sure. So sure. that cheat initial. Code. <laughs> <Konami> code. <laughs> so yeah, like, and, and particularly the, it, you know, in terms of church history, Calvin and then Calvinism really didn't have a space for the arts. And they sort of saw those things as potential idols. So even in a Calvinistic culture, it was a it was a journey to convince the elders and the elderly that this Christian rap thing was useful and that it was permissible. So most churches that I would visit and then commit to had, you know, a certain style of, you know, singing and and liturgy that had at that point it was uncomfortable coming out of the charismatic space where it's just a lot of I mean, exaggerated emotion of you emote a lot of energy and expression, (laughs) dance, sing. You might take a lap around the building because something that was said in a sermon was so good. Like those things are all permissible. You know what I mean? So moving into the Calvinistic space, I was sort of detoxed from that. So then once I was exposed to (laughs) Lutheran liturgy, by that point, I didn't even have an appetite for the thing I came up understanding as church life as a kid. But um, the church I'm at now, we do have more of like, we have both. We have a contemporary style liturgy Mm -hmm. and then we have one that's more traditional, which I actually enjoy both. I think um, Mm -hmm. both have their place, both are helpful and maybe even a blend of the two can be good Mm -hmm. too. But um, I think that's a misconception we have sometimes about liturgy is that um, it always means organ or, you know, it, it, it's a broader meaning than that. It's yeah. about what you're teaching and not necessarily about always the style of what's yeah. going on. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. But I do remember the first time I picked up a hymnal. It was so funny. I was trying to follow along. One, I, I had to find a page. Then once I found a page, I, I had to understand the flow of the book. So I'm reading the lyrics, singing along, trying to keep up. And then the lyrics skip down the page. I'm like, what just happened? So I'm reading the wrong words. I'm singing the wrong words. I'm looking around to see if anybody sees me. Then I just start humming and faking it like, mm-hmm, just kind of yeah, smiling. <laughs> it was like mayhem. But over time, I just got used to that. And uh, yeah, <laughs> but it was funny. Oh, though. man. This has, been, this has been so good. Just a couple more, yeah. uh, a couple more questions, man. Um, what was it like at the LCMS convention? Ooh. I bet my experience was a little bit different than yours uh, <laughs> because of some of the things I've said on this. I'm not like universally loved within our church and and that's okay. My identity is in, in Jesus. If people really know my heart, I, I really just want our church to be as evangelical in the best sense of the word and, and confessional Lutheran as, as possible. And, and then just look at some of our practices. So I'm praying for unity in the midst of our diverse context today. And you get kind of a microcosm of our church at the LCMS convention. And I was just, I was overjoyed, man, that they, they put you on the platform, let you share your story and even rap a little bit. So what was that? What was that experience like? Yeah, no, indeed. I mean, one, I was honored to be there. Um, definitely felt like it was a privilege. And two, just seeing the level of accountability, like, um, you know, all denominations aren't made equal. And I think that's a courageous thing to do is to get 
that many people in a room. Um, and so there's like open field and people are taking shots and shots are being fired back. But I think the end goal was to try to work through difficult things. Um, that was to not hide or run from that scary responsibility to me stood out. And I, I thought that was something to admire and maybe even something to model. I think other people can learn from that. It was, it didn't seem like it was always fun. Like I was following online and you see the different things that people are discussing and voting for. But by and large, I saw something golly about it. I was just like, man, this, mm. uh, this isn't easy, but this is the long suffering stuff. This is yeah. the, you know, the, the, the suffering and the, ah, all of that was in the room and in the mix. Yeah. And it's, it's not always fun, but just for me, it was cool to kind of come in and be a time to breathe, a time to laugh and just sort of hit that reset, if you will. So that was my goal was to come in, hopefully, and say things that encourage all of us to say, you know, I'm a byproduct of you gentlemen and even the ladies in the room just fighting for these things. I mean, they mm. made their way to me, you know, because I'm sure there were decisions and votes that were made at some point that allowed the institution to be there for a guy to randomly stumble on campus and to hear good confessional thought that rescued me uh, at a point where I was probably thinking about leaving the faith, you know, just sort of mm -hmm. exhausted with um, that never ending upward climb on the ladder that I experienced in, you know, respectfully in a reform space. So I saw all of that in a room like, man, Lord, give them the courage and the patience to keep weathering this saying hard things, hearing hard things, figuring out how to work through it. Cause on the ground, it's just regular people who, who need to hear the good news of Jesus. And if this is part of that journey, help us to, to, to weather Amen. it and maintain uh strength through it for the, for the good of the people. And in the LCMS, man, that's so encouraging in the LCMS. We've got the goods, man, you know, Indeed. or the goods or the goods got us. However you want to say, <laughs> that part. That part. you, you know, so, yeah. so can we, can we love and care for one another? And the cool thing about the convention, um, well, I got some concerns about pastoral shortage and, and how we train and while not changing what we train toward the truths of, of that we've been talking about today, truths in God's word and Lutheran confessions. We're not, we're not talking about, we're not battling over those types of things or even like the major cultural issues today, man. And maybe, maybe how we engage in the LGBTQ plus conversation, but, but no one is saying that, that God didn't create a man and a woman and that marriage isn't a beautiful thing and that, that life matters and all of those kind of hot button issues. We're, we're very much aligned. And I, I'm just praying that as we communicate that alignment, we have contextual hospitality. So what are your, um, because Landon Ledlow is your, your pastor, man. What a, what a cool dude. I, I really enjoyed him. And, um, he, he and I were classmates at the seminary 15 years ago. So what are your hopes as you look at your church in particular in Tampa, Florida, going on mission? And what is the story that you hope is told, uh, that could ripple from, cause we kind of think this from Jerusalem, Judea, from Phoenix outward, from Tampa outward. What, what gives you a lot of passion about what the Lord's doing in your local church, especially as it relates to communicating the gospel with those who don't know about Jesus? Yeah, man. I, I think, um, one, I like being in the mix because it does help with the imagination. So just, you know, by way of presence, people can sort of imagine a black inner city male and um, what that might feel like to worship alongside of someone like myself and, and people from other cultures and vice versa. I'm learning that as I engage my brothers and sisters at my local church. So I like that 
close proximity softens our hearts and helps us see the humanity in one another. And then we think about how do we communicate good things to people where we know maybe a certain vantage point may feel it may be a tender spot. So we figure out, okay, well, let me go around and, and maybe take this approach. So I like that, that that's happening. I like that, um, you know, even here we've already done an outreach concert just to signal mm. to the community, Hey, we're here. Um, we love Jesus and we like rap music too. So come <laughs> get some food, get some snacks, come sit down and enjoy a concert and I've seen that, you know, already displayed being here. So that's super cool to see. Um, other things like I'm, you know, I have a podcast and a sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, organization that I've been working on building, Extranos Academy. And we're doing our first conference. But again, my, my church is hosting it. They're like, let's have it here. And that's just going to bring a different demographic of people. They're going to show up. They may not even know much about Lutheran thought, but they'll be in a the building. They'll be able to meet my pastors and they'll be able to see who's there and what that's like and how y'all all getting, getting along together. And even when y'all don't get along, how you still, Oh, because, yeah. because of mm-hmm. Jesus and the Lord's supper binds us together, even, yes. you know, reminding us that we're still family. So I like all those things happening and those are things mm-hmm. are in the room. So yeah, just more stuff like that, man, putting ourselves in those positions to feel what the other person feels and to how do we say the good things to one another, knowing those sensitive spots. This when, has been so much says, fun. I've yeah. become all things to all people. It's not That's it. a statement saying I'm going to compromise my theology for, on behalf of others. He's saying I'm going to go out of my way to show radical hospitality to people mm-hmm. and let That's them good. know that they belong in the church. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that they can hear the gospel. Amen. Amen. That is well that is it. That it comes from outside of us. I, I love that a lot of your your writing, your rap, what your music was included in the book. And I'm yeah. on page 109. I'm sure you haven't memorized the pages, but uh, <laughs> would you would you just share like because at the at the convention you rapped a little bit? Would you mind? It's from your interlude to Good Works. And man, I love how Luther emphasized. Do you remember any of that? Can you can you drop Ooh, that for us as we close? Man? See, you know what that that part actually is in a rap. So I may be off the it hook. It isn't a rap. <laughs> no, it's it uh, isn't. You just say this. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, I'm just talking yeah. those things out. But uh, I, let me just let me just quote a little bit, and then maybe you could drop something else out. Man, I uh, love how up, Luther emphasized <laughs> that God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. I mean, that's so weighty when you think about it, because all our good deeds, our sanctification, our skill sets and responsibilities in various roles are for the benefit of those around us. That's how we are made righteous by faith and how we remain righteous in in Christ by faith, man. It's so, so good. So thank mm-hmm. you. And yeah. I know your your music now, your art is having a ripple effect right now. Uh, that's that's who knows what the Lord wants to do, man. But I'm praying for this thing to to blow up yeah. for flame and, and that your and that your heart. Um, and that the good people around you yeah. that, you know, the hedge of protection, the love of the Lord, all of those things would just be around you as you carry out your work, man. I'm praying for you, praying yeah. for you big time. So is there any, Thank is there you. any music that without music, any rap that you could just share for us as we close? Let me, man? See, That'd be super let me cool. see what's in the, what's in the can. Uh, let me see. Um, <laughs> hmm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it, get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now we get the river Jordan. John the Baptist baptized Jesus, then he brought him out the water. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all present like how the creation started. Heavens opened up, Spirit descended like a dove, then he came down and rested on us. Rested on him. This my Son in whom I'm well pleased, the Father speaks from heaven, put his blessing on him. 
This the Logos who met the standard of the law with no flaws. He kept the standard, no commandment, broke it all. Yet he was tempted on every hand and never choked at all. The text reveals he did fulfill all righteousness in fact. Then hit Golgotha's hill and blood got spilled in that sacrificial act. Now he is the promise the father has made us through prophets and priests to be our mediator. His baptism basically inaugurated to bring new beginnings, redeeming creation. Now how we access what he earned back then, historic objective for women and men with no exceptions. He died for our sin. Christ said by faith, you get baptized in. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> yes. So grateful, bro. Thanks for, do, thanks for doing that. You, yeah, you hey, are Flame. you are gifted. Oh, so one fun. last indulgence just for me. My son is a huge fan. Would you give him a shout out of as course. we wrap up to? What's, what's, <laughs> what's his name? What's his name? Christian. Christian, yeah. Christian. Okay. Christian, what's going on? This is your brother in Christ, Flame. Man, thank you for listening to the music. Thank you for just tapping in. That's encouraging to me. Hopefully, you're finding things in the music that are blessing you. So until we meet in person, God's peace. Uh, this thank has you. been so much fun, Flame. Thank yes. you. This is Lead Time. Sharing is caring. Please like, subscribe, comment. Uh, take this in. Share it with friends. Uh, go and check out Flame's music. Where can they hit you up, man? Where do they find it? I'm a Spotify guy. That's where my son and I listen. Where else yeah. can they find your music? Yes. Yeah, so the music is wherever music is streamed. So if you're Apple Music, Spotify, the like. Uh, if you want to just go to a hub for all things Flame, Extra Notes Academy, extranotesacademy.com. We got the podcast, the merch, the music. Go enjoy the book yourself. Is, uh, is, uh, yes, on the book Amazon, is, is that right? Yeah, it's on Amazon as well. And on Concordia? So, yes, yep. yes. Awesome. We have the audio book also. So for people yes. that are on the go, you can enjoy the audio book. I'm actually reading a book myself. So Did you? Yeah. How was yeah. that? How was that? Was, Getting oh to read goodness. your own book? That must it was have been intense. super fun. It was intense. It was probably about <laughs> 13 hours of audio. Which you narrated, to, right? Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> I narrated. Yeah. But we got it down to about five and a half hours. And it's also produced. So certain yeah. parts that I'm talking about, like, for example, I talked about an accident I was in. You'll hear the tire screech and the cars yeah, collide. Yeah, it's really good. So it's a real, it's a journey. It's, it's a fun, uh, immersive experience. Wonderful. So, so good. Uh, thanks for this time, man. Your, your generosity, your hospitality, your kindness, your passion for the Lord. He is using you in beautiful ways. This is a good day. Go and make it a great day. We'll be back next week with another episode of Lead Time. Peace. Thanks so much, Flame. Thanks, Jack. Yes. You've been listening to Lead Time, a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective. The ULC's mission is to collaborate with the local church to discover, develop, and deploy leaders through biblical Lutheran doctrine and innovative methods. To partner with us in this gospel message, subscribe to our channel, then go to theuniteleadership.org to create your free login for exclusive material and resources, and then to explore ways in which you can sponsor an episode. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode. The Unite Leadership Collective is excited to announce the launch of our new online learning platform. Whether you're considering entering into ministry or already leading, we have the resources that you need to become an empowered leader in your ministry. Our learning platform will release new courses every quarter with our first available course, Becoming an Engaged Leader, available now. But by joining our monthly membership, you'll unlock unlimited access to all of our courses and gain entry into our exclusive coaching community space where ministry leaders can connect with each other. This community also grants you access to bi-weekly coaching calls led by the ULC team, private Zoom calls, and additional team discounts. 
To celebrate the launch, we're offering introductory rates for all of our courses and the monthly subscription plan. Just enroll prior to January 1st using the code 75ULC2023 to get 75% off at checkout. Visit the uniteleadership.org to learn more about our online learning platform and start your journey to lead effectively in any church settings today.